Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we would ask that you would teach us from this passage that you preserve so that we would have it today. Would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears, not to hear some person, but to hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Now, let me just uh, remind you of the, the context here when it says uh, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Here's what had happened that we, uh, we talked about last week. The disciples were in a, in a room, all of them but Of course, Judas was not there. Thomas was not there. Some of the women would have been there, women, uh, it's likely, who had been at the tomb. The two from the road to Emmaus would have been there. They're the ones that were were walking along and, and another stranger began to to, to walk with them, they didn't recognize him, and, and uh, he began to talk about uh, the Savior, talking about him from the beginning of the Scripture all the way to the end, and then, then they recognized who he was, and, and they made their way back to Jerusalem. So they're all inside of this room. They are uh, talking with one another about their experiences. What happened to you? What would you see? Here's what I saw, but, but at the same time, there was fear because they didn't know what was going to happen next. Well, it, it, the body's gone. Are they going to come after us next? Are, are we going to be, we in this room, going to be the next ones to be 
to be crucified? They didn't know what would happen. And so they were in a locked down room until Jesus came into that room. Not through the door. He just came in. He was able to do that in his glorified body. But as it says here, and this is right on the heels of that passage, and by the way, his message to them at that point was not one to shame them for how they had acted. It was not to rebuke them. His message was, peace be upon you. Shalom. He, in his grace and his mercy, pronounced that upon them. So here we are, and it says uh, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. Now let's remind ourselves what we know about Thomas. And uh, some of you, I'll just tell you, you're going to really relate to him personality-wise. And that's no offense. That's just, uh, it's just true. Um, he, you know, he, he's called Doubting Thomas, but that's not why I think you, some of you will relate to him. Um, he's one of the most prominent of the disciples, but he also is Eeyore and Charlie Brown all kind of wrapped up into, <laughs> into one. He, he's the guy with the cloud over him, or at least he thinks there's the cloud over him in, uh, in each circumstance. So, one commentator uh, said that John presents a consistent picture, this is of Thomas, of dogged, loyal pessimism. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's a great description. Uh, just think back to a, a couple of the instances of things we know uh, about him. Uh, we saw him, so Lazarus, Lazarus dies, and some of the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with going to Bethany, which was near Jerusalem, uh, which was trouble from their perspective. They, they knew that there was opposition against Jesus if they went anywhere near there. And so, thinking about whether they would go or not, here is Thomas. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, he was almost a, a fatalism. On the one hand, you admire, he was ready to die with Jesus. On the other hand, he assumed that's what would happen if he went. Then we, we see uh, uh, in John 14, when Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to go away, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? So why wasn't Thomas with them in that 
room. We don't know exactly, but I think we can assume some things. Thomas had seen what happened. He, he saw this, this unlawful trial, arrest, trial, prosecution, and then crucifixion of Jesus. He saw it all. And it's likely he was despondent. And I think I can relate to that if I had seen all of that as well. We probably all can if you put yourself in those shoes. But, but Thomas with his personality, he, he, even more so, it's likely he had gone off by himself somewhere, was, was wandering around we don't really know, probably was overcome with grief as his world had fallen apart. I think all those are likely. So he doesn't bother to be with the disciples. But at some point, his friends, the disciples, try to tell him of their experience. Thomas, you, you got to know what happened. And here's what we see. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So here's what had happened in those several days, is not only had he become more despondent, he had moved farther toward unbelief, disbelief. He had been there for all of the, the teaching that the other disciples had had. Now, let's apply this a little bit. Doubt is a very common thing for Christians. In fact, it's a very common thing for anyone who has faith in anything. But certainly, most Christians, if they are honest... Will, will, will acknowledge that at some point they've experienced doubt. Grief is also common among Christians. It's common to all mankind, and Christians are not immune to that. And so is the feeling like one's world is falling apart. Christians face the exact same things everybody else in the world face. There are differences, but not in what we face. But Thomas's response is the absolute worst way to deal with those things. 
to, to separate oneself from other believers at the very least will slow down the process of dealing with, with grief and with, uh, with having despondency, with feeling like your, your life is falling apart. At the very least, it will slow down one's ability to cope. In Thomas's case, he clearly moved farther into unbelief. Isolating oneself robs us of the perspective of God's people who, who love us. You get it? So here's the thing, and, and I'm, I'm speaking to people who are here, so you have not separated yourself from God's people. But I want to encourage you here and now to make the decision that, that if and when that day comes where, where I'm, I'm struggling with doubt or despondency or I feel like, or, or grief or, or my life's falling apart, commit here and now that I will not separate myself from God's people because it's in being in the middle of God's people that is, is my best hope to know of the love of Christ, to know of the love of others, to, to experience right perspective. Make that commitment, even today. So back to our passage, I want to ask this question. Who or what was Thomas doubting? And that might seem like the, just a slam dunk of an answer. But here's what I want to do. I want to challenge the common interpretation of what was going on here. Notice, as I just read, Jesus uh, rebukes him and says, stop doubting. Now, here's the question. Was he rebuked for doubting that Jesus was raised from the dead? That's what's usually said. That, I, I, I've heard it preached that way. I've heard it taught that way. That Thomas is getting rebuked because he didn't believe until Jesus stood in front of him with his hands and with his side and said, touch my wounds, put your hand in my side. And so Thomas was rebuked. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that, is, that interpretation is that Jesus, if he was rebuking him for not believing until he saw Jesus, what about everyone else? None of them believed until they saw Jesus. None of them. The women who, who saw the empty tomb, what, 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 was, what was Mary's response? They've stolen the Lord. They've stolen his body. What about the disciples? When did they believe? When he stood in front of them, then they believed. So it doesn't make sense that, that Jesus is going to rebuke Thomas for that 
when he didn't rebuke any of the others. In fact, he said, peace be upon you. And he said that, that here too. So what was he being rebuked for? Thomas was rebuked because he doubted the testimony of those who had seen Jesus. Those that, that Thomas knew were trustworthy. The other disciples, the ones on, on the road, the women. He knew they were trustworthy. They said, we saw him and he chose instead to doubt their testimony. I'm convinced that's why he was rebuked. And there's some other things in here that I think support that view. Look at the response of, of Jesus. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Now, eight days later, that's the next Sunday. The Jews counted days inclusively. Uh, so where we might say seven days later, if we're saying a week later, they would say eight days later because they count the days on either end inclusively. So uh, again, it's on the first day of the week. I think here again we see the emphasis. Jesus is affirming, you know, you gather and I'm there like we've talked about for the last several weeks. That's when the Lord's Day moved to the first day, to Sunday, verse, verse 26. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, doors are still locked, Jesus came and stood among them. By the way, they didn't mind locking the doors because they knew if Jesus wanted to come in, he could come in. They already saw that the week before. He came, he, uh, he came and stood among them and said, peace be upon you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So he stood in front of, of Thomas and said, you, you wanted to do this, here I am. Now, some of you might be tempted to say, well, you know, if he did that for me, I'd believe too. Some of you want to be like what it says in Job 23. It says, if only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, his house. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I'd find out what he, what he would answer me. This is him in pursuit of God. Some of you think that if only I had more evidence, I, I would believe. The amount of evidence is not your problem. Uh, attorney Sir Edward Clark wrote this. And by the way, I've, I've, I could give you... Um, quote after quote from attorneys that have gone into 
trying to disprove the resurrection. They looked at the evidence and they came to a similar conclusion. Here's what Sir Edward Clark uh, wrote. As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. The gospel evidence for the resurrection is of this class. And as a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts they were able to substantiate. So what are those proofs of the resurrection? Well, John Stott puts the proofs in four broad categories, and there are many subcategories under all of these, but here are the four categories of of proofs that uh, Stott talks about in basic Christianity. Number one, the body was gone, and these all fit together. Or the, number two, the grave clothes were undisturbed. We talked about that several weeks ago. Number three, the Lord was seen. And of course, under that, he was seen in all kinds of circumstances by individuals, by two people, by men, by women, uh, by large groups of people, all kinds of witnesses in various situations. And in those situations, they weren't expecting to see him. In fact, in the early, uh, in the early appearances, they expected not to see him. So number three is the Lord was seen. And number four, the disciples were changed. That's an evidence of the resurrection. In other words, something changed these people. And it changed them all at the same time, basically. What changed them? Well, you put it together with with the other things. And those are evidences for the resurrection. Here's the point. If you've been saying to yourself... And and really, it's flattering yourself if you're saying this. Uh, If only I had more evidence of the resurrection, I would believe. You're kidding yourself. Now, if you're grappling with that, I'm glad you're here. But evidence is not the problem. The proof is there. This is more documented than most things that are commonly considered facts of history. Look at the, how it changed Thomas. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He doesn't at this point call uh, Jesus rabbi. He doesn't call him Messiah. He professes two things. My Lord, that's the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament, uh, Yahweh, the high name of God to call him Lord. And then he professes his deity, my God. 
Both of those are in the possessive, and that's a key. When we talk about what it is to believe, if we really believe, if we really trust, it's got to be in the possessive. Here's what I mean. When uh, we talk about saving faith, saving faith uh, is not just an intellectual faith, not just an intellectual acknowledgement of, of facts. That's why if he had just said, Lord, God, we still wouldn't have really known where he was spiritually. You say, well, it, that, that would be good, wouldn't it, if he acknowledged those things? Of course, that's good. But understand this. You don't have to be a believer to, to acknowledge that, that Jesus is Lord and God. Satan knows that. He absolutely knows that. But Satan will never say, my Lord, my God. That's the difference. And that's the difference between intellectual assent and trusting in him alone. Thomas, we, we don't know whether he touched the wounds. John doesn't say he did. He could have. Wasn't anything about the body that couldn't be touched. But it doesn't say anything about that. But Thomas, after seeing the wounds, he dropped his requirements at that point. He dropped his objections. He gazed on the wounds and he believed. So as you struggle, gaze on the cross. Gaze on the wounds and understand that can be life-changing. So that's the question. What do you say? Jesus said this, verse 29. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we tend to think that, that Thomas and others had the advantage because they could actually see the risen Christ. I know. I've, I've felt that way as well. And we tend to, to fall into that category. Well, it's, it's, yes, there is some truth to that, but... Jesus is reminding Thomas here that there will be millions and millions that will come after you and will believe because of your testimony and because of the testimony of these who have seen me. And here's Jesus' conclusion. They those millions and millions who believe without seeing will be blessed. 
and we hear the word blessed or blessed, and we tend to think of our own uh, happiness and, and satisfaction and uh, joy, and, and that's certainly part of it. But we need to understand this. There's a bigger meaning here. When he says, they will be blessed, you will be blessed if you believe without seeing, he's saying, they will find favor with God. And that's what it is. Trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. Not because we've seen him stand in front of us, but because we believe the testimony of men and women who did see him. Men and women who had nothing to gain, everything to lose, and most of them lost everything in this life because of that testimony. You'll find favor with him, you who believe without seeing. Let's pray together. Lord, will you give us a heart of faith so that we can believe? Your, your word makes it clear it's not, it's not just about seeing. You've given us plenty of evidence, evidence that we would accept other facts. It's not, it's not about that. It's not about satisfying our intellect. But will you, Lord... Like Thomas, help us to gaze on the, the wounds, the sacrifice, and the peace that he wants to put upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.